is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Perks. Super excited to be here for our fourth week episode, focusing on the RV industry. I keep saying, like, it's a hybrid between RV industry and outdoor recreation, but I feel like we need someone on here to talk about outdoor recreation. So primarily focused on the RV industry today, but super excited to have a recurring guest here, Phil Ingrassi from the RVDA, as well as Shane Devinish from CRVA. We're missing a couple of regular guests. Some super important things going on. And I think August is vacation time for most people. Looking forward to seeing what insights we have. And then we have a couple special guests here. Let me check my notes because I was late here running. But we have Jeremy Green, Senior Director of Events and Marketing at RVIA. Obviously, another industry heavyweight that is certainly very critical to the success of the industry. And then Daryl Benson, who's the president of RV Wheelator. He's going to discuss his services and business and things like that. Gentlemen, where do we want to start today? Is there anything that's critical that came across our desk in the last month or so that we want to talk about as far as the RV industry goes, besides my horrible washed out background. I first heard the ancient wheelchair. It's not wheel door. It's wheelchair. RV wheelchair. Oh, like sorry. Wheelator. Okay. You can fire me. That's okay. I don't, okay. you know, I'll just go away. I can turn off my camera and we'll just let Phil and Jane no, we, I don't think we want we the host got, to go away. <laughs> we're glad you got oh, your microphone. You want the host to go away. If you've ever watched a show, everyone wants me to go away. <laughs> um, but yeah, go ahead. Daryl, you spoke up, so I pronounced your company name wrong, but tell us what wheel, is it Wheelator? Wheelator. It's a play on wheelator. the Wheelator. Okay, wheelator. I got wheelator. it. All right. Wheelator. 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 Got it. Won't what happens happens that the word Wheelator doesn't have an A in it. It's Realtor, but nobody pronounces Realtor. They all say Realtor. So I trademarked the word Realtor. And for the past Great. 10 years, we've successfully listed and sold recreational vehicles like real estate agents list and sell homes in the lower 48 states. I haven't got to Hawaii yet and haven't got to Alaska, but we will. Tell me about what made you get into the business. It's obviously been a long time. You've been successful, steady, but what made you get into it in the first place? Well, some family friends of ours came to us with asking me to help them sell their RV. They were super senior citizens and they were done. They couldn't travel anymore. And I selfishly didn't help. And I have an automotive background. I know the industry. And uh, they went to the dealer that they bought it from. And unfortunately, they... I paid about $50,000 less at wholesale. Ouch. And I went to seal. And I said, gee whiz, it could have been fair. And the young man beat on his chest and told me that was his job. So I told him that I'd develop a business model that would kick his ass. 
and I have. I have the only retail to retail business model in the RV. Just need to check with our moderator one second. Shane, are we allowed to say ass? I, yeah, I think you're. I think you're okay with that. Okay, right. I apologize. I didn't mean to be too coarse. So anyway, we have a retail to retail business model. We can do things that no one else can do. Like we can guarantee a private seller up to fifty percent more cash than a dealer, and guarantee that same seller a buyer. And just like real estate, we pay for all the advertising. So our service. It's no cost to the private seller, the visible. The buyer pays a small commission, is included in the advertised price. And just tell you folks just how darn good my business is. One bad review in a decade, like in 10 years, one. So there I am in a nutshell, guys. Entrepreneur working out of my home, help. And guess what my job is? Introducing nice people to other nice people. That's my job. So here's how, here's, and certainly there's a larger picture for a debate. Nobody's saying that, you're saying that one person is better than the other, but nobody's saying that as an overall, overall blanket statement. In the same way that I think there's a place for, just like when you're selling cars, right? There's a place for private people and private listings and certain segments. Right. Certainly a benefit to taking that to a dealership too. So how do you, how to expand on your statement, right? Because it's a pretty bold statement, right? Yeah. So why do you feel that you are without, and we certainly don't want to insult anybody, in your opinion, why do you feel like your services are different than a dealer? Pricing. We have a fair pricing policy. And our pricing. And your, I'm sorry, your mic is a third little party. Bit, your mic is a little bit staticky. I don't know if you can fix that if it's a, if it's not here. No, I got no power. But okay, so we, we have pricing, right? And that's fair to a certain extent. I don't think that's certainly a slight on a dealership, much if you were to take a car in the private market and resell in a newspaper or something like that, there's a chance that you would get a little bit more for that. Is that something we can stipulate, Bill? Yeah, look, private sales are just part of the vehicle business, right? For sure, yeah. Whether it's boats, cars, trucks, farm equipment, or motorhomes and travel trailers. Now, obviously, there's a place for every, everybody in the market. One of the things that dealers do, and of course I work for the dealers, so I advocate for them, is that not all used RVs are created equal. Some that have been sitting around for a while need a heck of a lot of work before they're saleable. Dealers invest quite a bit in reconditioning these units. The other thing is that not all RVs are suitable for resale by the dealer as well. Dealers, by and large, stay away from units that are 15 or 20 years old. That's not to say that those units don't have another life ahead of them somewhere, but dealers may, for whatever reason, not want to take those in on trade. Platforms like what Daryl's using are very valuable. And of course, that can be a gateway drug for that lower priced RV or that first RV that people are buying because they are price conscious especially for younger buyers, perhaps, or people that don't have the means, they can get in the lifestyle and then move on up. It's, if you have a scarcity mentality and think you only have to do it one way, that's probably not going to be all that successful. There's really, a, it just depends on what the people need. Typically through a dealer, that unit will be checked out and things like that before sale. 
And that's the value add, if you will, that, that dealers can provide, making sure that unit is road ready and all set to go for folks who may not be tinkerers or know how to do it or want to pay for an inspection. And that's why I tossed it back to you, right? Because I, obviously there, there is, as you said, a benefit to both sides of it. And I want to make sure we're not attacking one or the other because they both work hand in hand, right? It's the same thing as like a harvest host and a private campground owner and a national park. And right, they all exist. They all help funnel each business to each other. And like you said, again, dealerships is not my strong suit coming from the campground side as much as that is. But I think that there's very much value in explaining kind of that side of the story where if I was a dealer, and again, not knowing anything about a dealer, but I would want to take in units where I know that the customers coming through my door are going to be shopping for more so than maybe the older model who, again, like you said, certainly has life, but there is somebody out there who will buy that and pay a premium for it. And that's where Daryl comes in. Or if people, like people have really kind of cream puffs and, and don't need the dealer and consult through there, that's certain to each his own. Nobody's going to, nobody on the dealer side is going to say private, demonize private sales goes on all the time. Not that naive. No. I mean, and again, like we've just said, there's a place for both. Would you agree there's a place for both, Daryl? Absolutely. Cool. All right. It just felt it was like it might've been getting a little too harsh there. So I just wanted to break that apart for a second and make hey, sure. Darryl, I have a question for you. Yes. Now, one of the things that we've seen over the last, obviously two and a half years is just this explosion in new units. Are you seeing some of these pandemic buyers use your platform because they're going to just leave the lifestyle? Yes, there is abundance of COVID purchasers of RVs that are looking for a way to step on it because it's more than they expect. They put it in the market on the with their HOA. You know, all kinds of, gee, I got to keep it insured even when I'm not. And uh, yeah, that an abundance prices are going down and uh, the abundance of inventory is in a rough situation instead of being patient they're in hell because payments never are coming due and they can't handle it extra one so rv luxury item first to go jeremy one of the things that Gorvine did was some research on that pandemic buyer and we knew we weren't going to have, we weren't going to be able to retain all those buyers. Everybody understood that once the countries, both countries, U.S. and Canada opened up, it was going to be very difficult to retain everybody. But some of that research did show that we are holding on to a bunch of these folks. Yeah. And like the research that we've done, the net promoter score that we're seeing coming back from new buyers is even higher than our traditional buyers. And so, yeah. COVID pandemic definitely lifted the entire market up. We knew we'd do some people back on, out on the back end. I think we were actually a little surprised at um, the positive sentiment that we got from the new buyers, the overwhelming positive sentiment that we got. The, we've seen the average, the median age decrease from pre-pandemic, it was 53 to last year when we surveyed new buyers, 2022 was down to a median age of 32. We've seen the diversity of our buyer more closely reflect the general American consumer. And so we've done a lot with GoRVing and that, that national media campaign to really reach out to growth audiences and bring in and list the entire market. And when seeing some folks that bought it just for COVID, there was certainly a small sample of those folks that maybe had looked to, to exit the market, but overall it's been a net positive boost for the industry. 
right? The kind of the installed base of RVs has really gone up through the pandemic as we pumped about a million and a half units into the North American bloodstream in a very short period, a record period of time for the industry. So if we keep 60% and lose 40%, there's going to be, there's going to be a, a more used units available. That's for sure. But it's the industry works to keep those people in and provide them the campground opportunities that they need. That's going to be important. So we're, we're going to be on a higher installed base moving forward for repeat buyers. But at the same time, I think everybody understands there's going to be more used units in the market than would normally be there because of that COVID buyer. Don't you think, Shane? Yeah. And like it, that 40% figure that you say, Phil, somebody, they're not just going to walk away from those units, people not wanting to continue. They're going to sell it to somebody else. So the, this, the number of units are still going to be relatively the same. You're just going to have some maybe not being used for a while until they can find a new buyer. Yeah, there's been just an overall shift, I think, and what folks find valuable to their time and the way they share that with friends and family. And the outdoors is not going away. We saw that shift with the pandemic and folks are going to stay in the outdoors and RVing provides them a great opportunity to access all the things they enjoy about the outdoors just in an elevated way. I think the industry is just really well positioned for the future. We all know we're We've got a challenging time right now with some of the macroeconomic factors facing us, but in general, we're, I think we're positioned very strong as a travel sector. I'm curious here because we speculated on this show before from a dealer perspective, from a CRVA and CRVC perspective with Shane, from other guests, and obviously me, maybe a little bit from the campground side, but Jeremy, we never asked you the question and maybe you should just be a regular guest, Jeremy, if you want, but because I think your perspective is important once a month, but I think. In your mind, as we talk about these, and sorry for the wind if it's in the background, but in your mind, as we talked about these COVID buyers exiting, some of them exiting the RV space, is there any research or data you can point to as to why overall they might be doing this? Is it a lack of campsites? Is it the economy? Is it something else? Yeah, I mean, you know, the research that we did that looked into new buyers, and we ran this research in 2020, 21, and 22, and that's where we saw that median age drop. We saw diversity rise. What we saw is that buyers were of RVs were buying for the same reason they always did. Um, and COVID was like the fourth or fifth option. So it wasn't a significant number that bought for just COVID. So if we're seeing some folks exit post COVID, that might've been that smaller percentage that entered just because they couldn't go on a European vacation or they couldn't. And as other travel options back open back up clearly. Maybe they did it for a short time and a proportion of those people, that smaller percentage, a portion of those people stayed with us and a portion of those people maybe looked to other outdoor experiences, other travel experiences. I think the data that we have shows that the majority of those buyers were the same kind of buyers, just that COVID pushed them to purchase maybe a little bit sooner than they would have because it was a great opportunity to get in and then spend the time in the way that they could control their environment during that. So yeah, my traffic was at, during the pandemic was for 50% and in some cases, 70% first time buyers and go RVing shifted into um, educational because, and so did some of the manufacturers and dealers, the number of videos put up or uh, by the suppliers, manufacturers, dealers on how to use the units over the last, I don't know, two and a half years has just exploded. 
And, uh, and so we were in an education mode versus a promotion mode. And now with the business softening, we're shifting gears again and going into promotion mode as we try to move some of the, move some of the inventory off, off dealer lots. And that's, that, that's what we're all about over the next six to eight months. And just to jump in there, so that shift to education for the industry, I think was spot on. We're actually about to come out with some research into aftermarket parts and accessories for the industry. And we actually show the new buyers are more, are saying they were more well-prepared for RVing than our traditional buyers. So that shift to education, I think was critical at the moment when the industry decided to make it. That's actually really well, interesting I, to me. Because I think I've known it because I've been in it for so long versus I'm new and I've researched it and maybe more because when you're coming into the industry now, you have the internet and you have maybe AI or even AI back. But right, you have multiple different paths to learn quicker than you would with just going to a dealer. I don't, I don't want to be a naysayer, guys, but my situation, the rubber meeting. I'm you're still breaking, you know, breaking up just a little bit, Daryl. I don't know if you can sit forward. Maybe it's just, it sounds like your mic is breaking up. Yeah. I'm dealing with a larger percentage of sellers that are in an upside down situation than I ever did before. It, the, the officer, because of haste or because of their lack of inventory or their choices, I invite that. Many of them are in a negative equity situation, far more than ever before. And that's what I'm doing. What do you think, what's the percentage of your business in the last couple of years versus before COVID? 25 like, to 40. 40% up? Yeah, there, no, 40% 40, 40 of them are upside down. No. Or it was 25% like of them were upside down. Now it's 40%, right? Everyone, you know, when I'm talking to them, I say, gee whiz, do you owe somebody? Mm -hmm. And it, it's difficult. And so the only way that they're going to get out of it is go back to a dealer, to refinance another unit, and then again, be negative, or find out that they're short. Am I hearing this mostly economic then? Either you're underwater in your loan because of the economy or maybe like Jeremy yeah. said, you purchased too early because of COVID or you just weren't ready for it. But it seems like- In my business, yes, that's what I'm- So yeah. it's not an unhappiness with the RVs, which it was anyway, right? But it's not an unhappiness with camping no. or campsite availability. No. Some of it is. But is it a majority economic? It, it's, that? It's, it's that family that bought their first travel trailer. With their three kids that are under the age of 10, have had their food stuff go up quite a bit. And their transportation costs go up quite a bit. The RV is a luxury item. They got to get out of it. Yeah, dealers are dealing with this too on trades as well. You know, what happens here, and for people who don't understand what negative equity is, here's what it is, okay? You bought your, let's just say you bought your RV at $25,000 new, you financed it over time. And then say you took an eight to 10 year loan out on it. So two years later, you want to, you want to trade that thing in. You pay, you, you've got a $25,000 loan on it, but the RV is only worth 17, five. 
So you're, you still owe more money than it is actually book value worth. That's yeah. negative equity. And the last time this happened was during the downturn of 2008, 2009, where interest rates and the market all kind of conspired to lower those values of those units beyond what people had paid for and financed them at. So negative equity can rear its head in a private sale or at a trade-in at the dealer. Yep. And, and Daryl's right. One way is to basically go refinance your home. You go into the dealer, but you have to get another loan. So then you put the negative equity on top of the other part of the financing, and it's one payment, but hopefully you don't do it. You don't get underwater again. But certainly it is an issue right now, like it was about 15 years ago, 2008, 2009 time period. And you know, is we, the refinance option as available as it is today? I feel like it's not, given that interest rates are up, right? Yeah, it's, it becomes even harder in a higher interest rate environment. That's the way it is. If people make a conscious decision, are they going to put, how do you lower your interest rate your, or your, your monthly payment, the payment buyer? How do they do it? There's two ways. You put more down or you extend the period of the loan. So the further you extend the loan, the more apt you are to be underwater or have negative equity when it comes time to trade. And some of the major banks are pretty on the record. They want a significant down payment. And they also are, they don't like these 15, 20 year loans, which are really, which really can be more apt to put the buyer in a negative equity situation. However, that's not to say nobody's the cops. People can do what they want to do, right? So if you're buying a $250,000 motorhome and you want to take a 20-year loan out on it, almost like a mortgage, that's your right to do that if you can find the financing. But Daryl's right. It's, a, it's definitely a growing issue right now, and higher interest rates just uh, exacerbate the situation. So what happens if you can't sell, and I don't mean a single person, right? But in large numbers, if we get more of these people and there's a glut of inventory on dealerships and there's a glut of inventory in the private market as there already is, but if this continues to exacerbate and scale and go uphill, at what point do we really run into a serious issue? If we have well, we did run into a, you just have to go back to 2008, 2009. That was a serious issue. And then you'd be like. And I'm sorry, I didn't trip. Do you feel like it's going to be worse this time because of the amount of inventory that was injected right before it? No, not okay. at all. Somebody asked me that today. I had a business writer ask me that today. And the, what's the difference? We're not in a recession yet. They keep saying one's coming, but there, there isn't a recession. And credit availability is still good. We're not, we don't see the situation where credit availability had dried up where lenders were leaving the industry for whatever reason. And there's we'll, some, we'll get there's there's some churn too that needs to happen, right? At retail, but retails, it seems like it's outpacing wholesale. Would you say so? Or it's yeah, some absolutely. It's, yeah. Retail, retail is down 25%. Wholesale's down almost 50% through the first half of the year in North America. So it's a little different in Canada, but it's, that's roughly where it is. And it, 
it's it's a, definitely a crunch right now. It's definitely a crunch right now, but we do anticipate things are getting better. And I know RBIA's forecast is for a better 2024, correct? Yeah, I mean, we're 2023, we're projecting just under 300,000 units wholesale shipments. And then in 2024, that number rises to about 350,000. We're projecting sometime after the first of the year, really, to start to see a little bit of a turn there. Yeah. To stay on a negative equity situation, a good rule of thumb for consumers is to put as much down as you can and and keep your loan payment as within a short period of, shorter period of time, and you're much, much less likely to get stuck in a negative equity. Sometimes first-time buyers don't understand that. And if you're keeping your unit for eight years, it doesn't matter. Negative equity doesn't come into play. It's mm-hmm. only those people who bought and then want to get rid of it right away or within a shorter period of time that, that can run into that. Most of the time, not always, mm-hmm. but most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, but that applies to any asset that you drive around, a car. Same thing as a car. RVs are no different. Depreciation is higher the first couple of years. And, and the shorter you keep the unit, I guess the more you're going to be a little bit offside. But the longer you keep it, the less of an issue that is. And just from an ignorance perspective on loans, you're talking about paying more finance back in the front than you do in the end? or. No, well, you just, yeah, you pay more. I guess two things. The depreciation slows down. Depreciation is higher in the first couple of years than, than longer periods. And also you're starting to pay back more principal in the, in the latter part. Shane's a former banker. Did I explain the negative equity correct? That's why I asked him. You know how smart he is. No. Hey, hey, I'm a former banker. That tells you how smart I am. I'm in the association business now. So let's toss it to Jeremy for a second, because Jeremy, I want to give you a chance to just talk about RBIA in general. I don't, I feel like we haven't had an RBIA person on here for a couple of years for whatever reason. Um, so I apologize for that, but like in general, what has RBIA been up to? What we need to know. Yeah, no, happy to be on. For those that don't know, we're the association that represents the majority of all the manufacturers and suppliers of RV products in North America. And so we represent manufacturers and the suppliers of the product go inside those RVs. We, we do a lot of things from federal and state advocacy to we're probably most well-known for our self-regulation program, where we have standards that our, our members agree to adhere to. We address those standards through unannounced inspections every six weeks in manufacturer plants. And that's where you see that, that seal on the side of new units that basically says that the manufacturer has, has agreed to meet those standards and been part of that inspection program. And that's typically what campgrounds look for to make sure that it's meeting all the safety and life standards for entrance into parks and campgrounds. Big part of the things that we do are advocacy standards. Phil mentioned the Go RVing campaign, and that's a partnership that the RV Industry Association has with the RV Dealers Association. And it's all about lifting the market through a national media campaign. Uh, as well as PR efforts as well. That's just a taste of some of the main programs that we have. Another big one is we address the service side through the RV Technical Institute. Also a partnership with RV Dealers Association there. And that's recruiting and training service techs to make sure that folks can get their RV serviced in an appropriate time and back out camping. Just a few of the things that we do. How do you feel 
that the RV industry, and I've asked, I think this to Phil, we've talked about this before, and the same thing with the RV TI who we've had on here before. I apologize again for the wind that's just outside. I can't literally move. But how do you feel like we can best address this? Is there a service issue, first of all? I feel like there is. And then how can we best address it with the industry to make sure? What kind of issue? I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit there. Is there a service issue in the industry? I think there is based on who we've talked to, but then, and obviously it's case by case, dealer by dealer, right? But then how do we best tackle that so that the consumer continues to have a high opinion of the RV industry as a whole? Yeah, you know, we like to look at it as a complete holistic approach from the product to the experience you get in, in buying that product to, you know, campgrounds, availability and the infrastructure that folks are searching for. And then obviously service is a big component to that as well. What I can tell you is that the RV Technical Institute that around now, I don't know, four or five years, we've brought over 14,000 techs, trained over 14,000 techs since that time. Last year, we recruited over 1,200 new techs into the industry. It's a, an issue that's being addressed. Certainly having a standard program of training is critical and pushing the service technicians through a career ladder, a career path, and the RV Technical Institute has developed that. We work with dealers, we work with suppliers, we work with manufacturers. We even work with some consumers on training. We're really looking at it holistically to try and get more people into, everybody's competing for techs right now. It's a real challenge and we're no different there, but we've invested as an industry over $10 million into this challenge. And by bringing in 14,000 in the past five years and training, them, definitely making a dent there. For sure. Yeah. Nobody was ever questioning your attempt. So I apologize if it came across that way. Oh, no. We worked really hard toward it. I just think it's important to continue reminding the people at the campground artists who watch the people, the consumers who might be watching the show, right? That there's definitely progress being made. There's thousands of these new techs coming in. We're getting better. We know it's always in, in, to a certain extent going to be an issue, but it's a less of an issue every day that we move forward. Yeah. And one of the partnerships that we're definitely interested in and have been keying in on is with campgrounds training campgrounds and folks there on the RV Technical Institute curriculum. Oftentimes, if there's issues that folks might have, they might be in a campground and experiencing that issue. So having somebody that's, that's equipped with the knowledge and is right there and able to get somebody to have that good service experience at the campground was part of that measure. Let's pivot into the, because I think the studies that you do and the data that you put out is very critical to the industry overall. Like, you look at technical suppliers, like literally everybody, right? Runners too. Uh, and I apologize again if I'm breaking up. So I keep saying that like a broken record. But um, how do you feel like the data that you're providing is being used in a way to improve really all aspects of the industry? We know it's important. But what I'm asking is the nitty gritty of the how does this study help this person? How does that make sense? Yeah, I can take a piece of that because we do a lot of different studies and data. Uh, one of the more recent ones that we did was the, the demographic report on the RV consumer. And just from working with the Go RVing program, we looked at that broke down the RV consumer into seven different types. And we used that data to, to better develop the right authentic relationships with those type of customers. And we're promoting the right products, the right lifestyle choices to the right audiences. So it's helpful for us as a program to lift the industry and deliver new customers. But it's also extremely helpful for dealers on the local level to target the right people in their back in the backyard, for manufacturers and, and the brands to make sure that they're connecting to the right audiences in an authentic way. 
just that's just one piece. On the campground side, we did a, a large campground study where we looked at both the public and private side. And I know that there's this saying that there's not enough campgrounds out there. And we found there's actually a lot of campgrounds out there. There's thousands and thousands of campgrounds. It's very fragmented and difficult to find campgrounds for sure for the user. And then on top of that, the infrastructure is a big challenge for, especially on the public side. So we're using that data on, on our advocacy efforts to go into state and federal legislatures and conversations and try and advocate for increased infrastructure so that we're able to improve the amenities that campers are looking for. So the data that we have is used in a lot of different ways, either by us as an association advocating on behalf of the industry or by different brands. I think it's important to continue highlighting that, right? Because again, what we see, or at least what I see on a regular basis is shipments are up, shipments are down, shipments are up, shipments are down. And that's really the headline number that we see more than anything else, but there's so much more to it. And that's what I, that's why I asked. Yeah, for sure. That is our bread and butter. That's what folks look to us for on, on that monthly basis. But I would say at least quarterly, we've got some piece of information. We've actually got uh, something coming out here within the next week around travel intentions. And we're showing heavily that folks are looking to travel over the Labor Day holiday. 49% of all leisure travelers, which is represents 95 million folks, plan to travel over Labor Day. But then we break that down into our beers. And 17% of them claim that they intend to have some type of RV experience over the course of those travels. And that's, that breaks down to 16.1 million U.S. residents, which is up from 12 million over the Memorial Day holiday. We use data like that, and that's just a short snippet, but we use data like that to, with upcoming holiday, to go out to media and share the story that is our being and that folks are gravitated to it, even in these tough economic challenges times that we're in right now. Is there a way, like if I'm in the shoes of a campground and, and I'm running my business every day and I barely have time to look at my own website, Google Analytics and things like that, is there a way that I can easily digest some of this information when I'm having conversations, maybe majorly about my campground, to, but to my local media, to my journalists like that, spread this word or to analyze my, it's very hard to read that long report, right? If you're a consumer or if you're a campground owner and you have 40,000 things that you so is there an easy way to digest these bullet points for them or disseminate them easier? Yeah, oftentimes we try and come up with different ways of pushing out the data. Either we'll have a full 200 page study that folks can dig in and read. And sometimes we just try and hit the highlight as well. So one of the things we try and do as an industry and got our partners in Shane and Phil here as well, we try to work together from the manufacturer, supplier, campground, dealer side to make sure that we're all speaking the same tune and sharing resources on the, those high points. And so oftentimes it comes down to just a few talking points, maybe that we can share out of the larger study. All right. What else we got, gentlemen? One of the things, and I'd be interested in hearing from Daryl about this is while sales have cooled off, the interest and the use of campgrounds is incredibly high. Jeremy said that RVIA has got a report coming out that it's going to be big Labor Day. KOA put their campground forecast up. The Gore being web traffic is very high. There's a lot of interest. It's just because of whatever reason, people are having a harder time pulling the trigger maybe on, on buying that new unit. Daryl, are you seeing increased traffic at your site? We're seeing increased traffic people planning to sell after the law of Labor Day. That's the air. You know, we're going to 
Now the last and the kids at school, whatever, for the 8th September. And uh, one more time, they are researching us to find out what we do and how we do it. And I expect a surge of business in the middle of it. That's what I'm saying. Also, the reference to your statistics, what I notice is the younger people, it's younger and younger people that get involved in the RV. And then there's the older and older ones that are maintaining their health. And it's real simple for me that the young ones will text and email all day long. The older ones, I got to answer that phone for the So all of the campground owners out there, if you want a business person over 55, 50, you better be answering the phone. If you want business from a person under 40, you better be fingers fast on text messaging. Getting you taken care of customers right there. Without giving numbers, Daryl, percentage-wise, what do you figure your business is going to go up after September? I actually don't think it is. See the prices, the wholesale price down. I see an increase in, I hate to rip again, but it's negative equity. And there's, I have difficulty getting inventory when the price on the inventory is going. When it was on and going up, oh my goodness gracious, it was different. This app closed and right now, yeah, I'm going to be busy. I'm not going to be busier by a lot of listeners. I'm going to be busy by a lot of people. Oh no, no. So. I know what the hope is. I know what the wish is. I know what the want is. That is to get hundreds or thousands of listings, but I don't see coming around the corner because of price. Daryl, what about your buyer traffic? You have sellers, obviously, that are going to the site. What about those people looking to buy? Is that traffic up, down, or flat? It's up, but it's up with the people that have the money that are saying, Interest rates going up, I've got cash. I think prices are going to be down a little bit before Christmas. I think I'll wait. I'll wait. Yeah, I really want it. I made a decision I'm going to buy that. I'm going to wait 90 days. So they're looking for bargains and their cash buyers. Financing is getting less inspections or getting less. Nobody is interested in insurance and nobody interested in extended warranties. And I think we're seeing this to a certain extent too mirrored in the transaction and sale of campgrounds in general. People were buying these up at an extremely high clip over the pandemic and the years before that. They're still very interested in purchasing campgrounds, but there's that waiting period now where the asking price of the campground is still what somebody expected to get last year, but interest rates, different cap rates and all those kinds of things. The math doesn't make sense. There's that holding pattern too, looking for that deal. Okay, and I think you've talked a bunch of different industries right now. There's the prices haven't come back down to customer expectations of where they're at right now. And, it, and it's perfect. interesting. Uh, go ahead, please. I'm in the perfect position to help. There's on on the deals, they're ten to twenty thousand dollars apart. 
because I could get seller that want to be traded in RV, likely cash, net, and that the dealer, because that buyer can come back with no trade and cash situation. It he wins if buy happens to say, gee, because that you came from that dealer network, I got a $5,000 chit here for you. Go back to that dealer and buy that unit wanted for cash. I can make that, that, that difference work. There's lots of deals. I know there's lots of deals on the dealer side where they're 10 or $20,000. Buyer ain't going up and the seller, the dealer ain't going down. They can't. Come to RV Williter. I can guarantee that, that, that trade in buyer guaranteed. And the other byline that I use is we can guarantee them up to 50% more cash than the dealer. And we've got hundreds of examples of that. And I'm not putting down the dealers, guys. I'm just bragging about my business model. That's all I'm doing is bragging about my business model. So you see Fireside Chat sponsored by Daryl and RV. Yeah. But also we should well, remember that they're actually for real sponsored by Access Parks. And I should mention that we're really grateful that they're sponsoring the course week episode of the RV industry show. If you're in the market for Wi-Fi at a campground, Access Parks is one of the premier, or if not the premier provider of Wi-Fi, uh, work for natural parks, KOAs, all kinds of really cool stuff. So definitely check them out. That was my little segue. I think for a second here. So thanks for reminding me, Daryl. I appreciate that. But You're welcome. This little entrepreneur has to get in his work whenever he can. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Again, I'm glad that companies like yours exist because there's a function, as we've discussed long over the show, to full sides of those things. And they and everybody helps everybody. The whole ecosystem works together. What else we got to talk about, Jeremy? Any other cool data that we should be paying attention to that maybe got under the radar or unnoticed? Well, man, we, I feel like we got something constantly. We just did a path to purchase research study. What was it? So maybe it was earlier this year. They all blend together for me, but it looked at just how folks, how first time buyers purchase and then how repeat buyers purchase and the differences between the two and maybe where some folks like drop off and why. And it was all designed to, to really help the industry deliver the right messages at the right time to those buyers. But what we found is attachment to brand is critical for taking somebody from a first time to a repeat. And, and so that's something we're teeing on as an industry. And you're seeing a lot from the manufacturers that you're seeing more brand development from the RV industry in that space. Yeah. That's certainly one thing that, that we've delivered recently. Yeah. And there's a lot of different segments of buyers and it, the study talks about talking about buyers or where they're at right now. When I first got in the business and, and this before Jeremy and maybe even Shane, but we were very pedantic about some of our terminology in the business. When we were promoting it, we didn't, we didn't like them being called campers. We didn't like them being called pop-ups and van campers or whatever. Yeah. It'd be called type B motorhomes. That's not the terminology that, that people are using when they're searching online. And so I think the study was one of the things that came out to me was that the industry has to meet these folks where they are. And if they're looking for van campers, call them van campers. If they're, they may look for type B motorhomes if they're really into it, but you know, that, that's the kind of thing I think that the study was trying to get across to the industry as well is to meet the consumer where they are. And in the case of B van people, the van campers or the van life folks, they don't even, some of them don't even consider themselves RVers at all. 
they're doing something different. That's okay. You can call it what you want, but just buy a motorhome. So I thought that was a pretty big takeaway from the study. Yeah. The other thing I'll mention, Brian, too, that we've seen recently, and it's probably no surprise to this group here, is the folks that are looking to work from the road and the opportunities that, that RVing really presents to, to that segment. There's been a massive shift in, in how many people expect to be able to do that. And then we showed in our latest survey of leisure travelers that's coming out that 19% of the respondents have worked from an RV in the last 24 months, and that thir- almost 30% are considering doing it in the next year. That's another trend that, that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. More RVs are being developed that have office space or the capabilities there's a lot more that's going into being able to boondock or get out into nature and still be able to stay connected so that you can still work from the road or send off that email or what have you. That's definitely a trend that the industry is addressing and something that really brings a potential new customer to us. Right. Look at the implications for the campgrounds. If they have weak or spotty Wi-Fi service, those people are going to pack up and go somewhere that does. Yep. So Which is one of the access parks are sponsored. Go ahead. Sorry. That's exactly right. And that's why those companies are so critical. That's amazing when you think about it, that two out of 10 campers who are at a, might be at a resort are actually working from their RV. That's, that's something that is amazing when you, when it comes right down to it and, and gets the younger people are out there doing it too. So do we have any data on what, and this is just playing devil's advocate, right? Do we have any data on what working from your RV means? Does that mean checking your email, sitting at a desk with a laptop for a couple hours? Yeah, I think it could be any in the above. And we ask that question. So I, the way we ask it is typically, do you sit down and work? Not do you, not are you enjoying time with family and you're on your phone and you check an email? I think folks look at it more actually spending a significant amount of time working while they're in their RV. But on, on the series side, I get out 38% of it, if it's able to have it, if it's equipped, so off the managed and they're adept, they're great people working, work. And I asked them, you work for your RV? Yep. And it's, it's amazing all the way from CEOs, man, all the way down to integrator. It's amazing. When they say, oh, I run a travel company, got X number of tens of thousands of dollars worth of commissions I earn every year on selling trips, RV trips, vacation trips. It's, it's, it was surprising to me. I work up in my RV because I'm in the RV business. I happen to have a 53 footer. It's how big? 53 feet. So that's all that you want to come and talk to me because you've got to know how big is that? Is it legal? Oh my goodness. Do you need a seatbelt? All of those questions. I got them branded by the time they're done visiting with me about RV wheeler. So all of us, a lot of us work in it, some out of necessity and others out of convenience because we can't. Others just because we can't want to. Shane, before we leave, what's new in Canada? Been wide. Well, we just uh, did our re- statment or shipment stats the other day. And like Phil said, things aren't that rosy, but I will like to say RVA does tremendous job doing the stats and we use as a guidance, a lot of what they put out. We're proud of what we can do up here and 
we're just in the midst of the final throes of getting our economic study out. We use, we usually do it every three, three or so years. We haven't done one before COVID. It should be ready in the next 30 days or so. And I think we're all interested to see how many new RVs are out in the road up here, not doing it every year. So this will be a pretty good update. And we're, we're optimistic that the numbers will be, will show pretty good. We use this economic study when we do our advocacy work up here and it's important for us. Not as extensive about the buyer, but it does provide a good economic footprint for us. So when we all get back here for the RV industry show in four weeks, you're going to have that data from promised, right? Right. We're hopeful anyway. We're trying to get some stats from the campgrounds, but they're right in the middle of the season and they've been slow coming. We're fingers crossed, Brian. All right. If not, we can just randomly speculate and make up something. Yeah, it's just 90% of Canadians own RVs. <laughs> you're that. I heard that, Shane. I think <laughs> okay. Anything else? Any final closing thoughts? Seriously, Jeremy, if you want to consider it, like we'd love to have you or somebody from RVAA. I feel like that's a very important piece that we're missing here. We have RVDA of America, RVDA of Canada, CRVA. We have the RV Women's Alliance on here. We should get Kirk from the RVTI too. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'd love it. Enjoyed being here with y'all and anytime I'm down for it. All right. If it's not windy, there's literally 50 mile an hour winds. Do you guys see this behind me? We do. And then literally five minutes when the show ends, it'll be clear. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, for sure. I'll have my team reach out to you, Jeremy, if it's something you're interested in. It's to think about those studies and dive in more and all that kind of stuff. Any final thoughts before we go? So I can just not talk while the wind's blowing in my Thanks. All of you appreciate it. Nice, nice to meet you, Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nice to meet you, Daryl. Best of luck in your business. Please don't take me as indifferent. I just have a different niche than what you guys have. <laughs> Same product, right? Different. Yes. Let's see if we can do this. All right, can we do this? All right, thank you guys. I appreciate it for joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats, RV industry focused episode. I really appreciate you being here again, Phil, Shane, and Jeremy from RVIA, giving us some clarity on that. Love to play more. Of course, Daryl with RV. You later? <laughs> no. Wheeliter. No. No. Yeah. Wheeliter. Wheeliter. Really like appreciate Wheeliter. you. Sir, feel free to stay on top of this business as well. So thank you. And then Shane, of course. Did I say Shane? I feel like He's I said. Yep. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks Bye. a lot. Right. Bye. Bye. Joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality.